0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message.
1: Good morning, everyone. My name is Diva, if we haven't met, and if you're a first-time guest, I'm so glad you're here, and if you're a regular attender, I'm glad you're here as well, so... (laughs) glad all of us are here. Well, there's a couple things that I want to walk you through. Um, Our morning looks a little different today. We actually have our stewards team doing a brief presentation before Ron comes on out to speak today. So before you walked in, you should have gotten your program, and if you didn't, we have plenty in the back. Inside is your Connect card, and that Connect card allows us to communicate with you, and if you're a new guest, um, you might be wondering, like, why do I have to fill that out? We just want to give you a thank you to say, hey, thanks for checking us out. You could be doing Uh, tons of other things today, maybe sleeping in, hiking, doing something else, but you chose to come and check out church with us. So thank you for that. And if you're a regular attender, we use it to fill out our prayer requests and our praises and just ask questions um, about life or anything that you need us to be praying for. Inside is your giving envelope as well, and you'll see there's um, an enrollment form, that. but we're going to be talking about that a little bit later, so that will get explained to you. So I would like to go ahead and just start off our morning by having our stewards come up, and there are actually more of us than will be on stage. So Ron, Angela, and Rick will join us on stage if Rick is here. I haven't seen Rick, but... Um, okay. Good. Welcome. So this is that time of year where we look back to see like what we have accomplished, what we're doing now, and what we're looking forward to in the future. So I'm so excited to kind of share the information we have with you today. And, and you're gonna you're gonna start us off today. <laughs> I need that. Okay. I can't look. It triggers migraines, though. <laughs> I
0: have a non-migraine setting. Ah, huh? Good morning! Merry Christmas! It's good to be together. Yes, Merry Christmas! Um, so the three of us are making this presentation this morning, but there is a whole crew of people. The stewards for one, and then a team called the financial planning team who has worked their fannies off. So if you wouldn't mind standing those fannies up, stewards and financial planning team, and just wave. That's you. Ashley, that's you too. <laughs> We see you, (laughs) (laughs) crew, Uh, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you. This has been quite a year. It's been nice to walk it together. So 21 years ago, there was a group of 18 pioneers who dared to believe that God wanted to do something through them, that they could plant a church that would build a bridge between God and people. And they dreamed of a church that was different from churches that they had known before, which was based on a value of people, to love people, to view people the way that God viewed them, to accept everybody. They wanted to plant a a church that deeply valued love and authenticity. And they dared to dream that God could do it through them. I have the utmost respect for that team because of the vision that they had. And 8 to 21 years later, we are here because of that dream. And that vision of that kind of church still stays at the heartbeat of who we are. And God has done God-sized things through very human humans. (laughs) Very human humans. I don't know how long you've been at New Life but I've been at New Life almost 20 years. And I look at what has been accomplished in those 21 years and I'm proud of this church body and I have utmost respect for those 18. But what I just see in my own life. We've seen I've seen God-sized things happen in me. Forgiveness found, bitterness dropped, addictions broken, faith challenged and grown, identity found. I don't know how many of those things have happened for you. Romance blossoming, marriages happening, babies being born. This has been an incredible 21 years. As people have walked together through the various journeys of life, it's been stunning to see God bring people into relationship with him via us. By, according to our records, it's about a thousand people have gotten baptized through this church in the last 21 years. <laughs> yeah. And it's fun to share life together and walk these journeys. We've lost loved ones and we've comforted each other. We've had major illnesses and crisis and we've walked together. This church walked me through divorce. I don't know what your story is, but it's been an incredible 21 years. And those pioneers, those 18 people who dared to dream God wanted to do something through them, have set the tone for us. It's not always easy. And I said, it's a God-sized dream happening through very human humans. This last year felt rough. For those of you that have been around, that was the biggest hiccup in our 21 years we've ever experienced. If you weren't around, then you maybe don't know, but we had a part company with our beloved lead pastor, and it was a huge hiccup, and it took a toll. We've been in a year of grieving, and we've all dealt with it in different ways. Some of us needed space to process. Some of us needed space to wonder, how is that going to turn out? Some of us, it triggered our history of church politics. I mean, it's been a tough year. I cannot tell you how proud I am. Those people that stood, that we had wave, dude, in a crisis, they just stepped forward and stepped into that gap. And it was a beautiful thing to behold. I've seen you comfort each other. I've seen you help each other forgive. I've seen you be the glue to each other. It's been a year. It's been a year. And it's been a beautiful picture of what God can do through very human humans.
1: Yeah, so to piggyback off that, it's it feels good to kind of have that grieving process behind us and now we can kind of just move forward and we're excited about what the future holds. There was damage done to our governance, but we have repaired that and made it stronger for us. Um, We've modified it to be more healthier and broader in scope, which makes us less vulnerable to what we experienced last year. So our church has pretty much stabilized, and you can kind of see that on Sunday we're seeing a lot of new faces, old faces are coming back, and it just feels like a family, a really strong family once again. Yeah. So even even in this challenging time, we have been working on some great projects. The NextGen department has been doing an amazing job equipping students and children and families with resources and supporting them. We're finishing up our construction in the NextGen area. So there's going to be some changes these next six weeks. We've actually done an international search for our lead pastor, and we're happy to tell you that Joel and his family, they sold their house in Thunder Bay, Canada. They found a place here in Petaluma, and they will be joining us on January 19th. So we are excited. Yeah. So, so many great things have been accomplished this year and we can't thank you enough for your prayers and your support through this time. And what we really worked hard as a stewards team and a financial team was to make sure the table was set for Joel to come in and just hit the ground running. We didn't want to have a big mess for Joel to clean up. We wanted to make sure that we got that all cleaned up. Things were in order so we can just kind of take off as a church. So to all of you who worked countless hours to make this possible, whether you prayed or you sat in hundreds of meetings with us and long hours, or even our spouses that supported us when we were gone for hours and days at a time, um, who dreamed and dared to believe that God wasn't done with us, but that he had more for us, we want to thank all of you guys for your support and your love and your prayers. And we want to thank you because you have played a vital and indispensable role in the future of our church. Thank you.
2: I am glad you gave yourselves a hand. You deserve it. Okay. That's awesome. So, Um, my job is to tell you about the last piece that needs to go in what we look at as our rebuilding foundation. Um, As Angela laid out for us, this last year has been a challenging year. It's been our most challenging year as a church, and yet, in some ways, it's been our best year as a church. Does that make sense? Yeah, because oftentimes it's in the challenges that we actually grow. And so uh with attendance down, and we've gone from two services to one service, but the one service is now filling up again in, I don't know, but at some future point we'll go back to two services. But with attendance down, obviously giving is, is down as well. And when you take those two things and you put them together with a commitment that we had, uh, made prior to that to do this construction project in next Gen. Um, it It's created a financial challenge for us, and so let me lay that out for us as clearly as I can. Um, we started with a $150,000, what we called Rainy Day Fund. I'm so glad we had that. That has carried us thus far, and we still have about a third of that that's available to us. Um, So uh, that's a good thing. However, as we sat down and worked through the budget for this coming year, even after some really stringent cuts and there's no fluff in it, the bottom line is we have about a $250,000 projected deficit. Can you breathe? Okay. So... um, that's where we are. What that means is we have about um, a need for about $120,000 extra to come in in the rest of December, January, and February. And then in the remaining seven months of our fiscal year, we will need an additional $130,000 in order to make all of that happen. What this will allow us to do is to continue our present operations to move Joel and his family here to and to pay for our construction project so um, we are excited to see how we all respond to that uh, I want to say this we have been in putting that budget together we have been really conservative on the income side for instance we have projected no increase in income after Joel gets here. We think that's highly likely to really spike an increase in our income. But rather than count on that and and have that maybe not come true, we said, you know, let's put together the budget without that. And then when that happens, we'll take that extra money and we will put it back in our rainy day fund. And then we'll hope we never have to use it, right? Right. We're like the best lawyers that we hope you never need, right? It's that sort of thing. We would love to have a rainy day fund that we actually never have to dip into again. So um, let's talk about some things that you and I can do that will actually bridge that gap. Okay? Uh, Number one, and most importantly, we can and we all should pray. Because here's what we know happens. If you and I will pray, then God will motivate and instruct us about what our part can and should be in that, whether it's little or a lot. He will instruct us, and as we respond, here's a great thing that happens. Not only do we get to be generous with our church, but we actually enter into a partnership with God because we pray, we listen, he motivates He instructs, we follow through, and we're now walking in partnership with God. So that's the first and most important thing that all of us can do. Secondly, we can automate our giving. Um, That's the easiest and best way to create a steady stream of income for our church. Now, if you're like Monica and me, we rarely write a check for anything. We auto pay pretty much everything. Well, right at the top of our list is our giving to new life. And what that means is if we're sick, we can't be here, we're on vacation, for whatever reason, we're still giving because it's an automatic thing. It means that our generosity toward the cause of Jesus is never accidentally forgotten or overlooked. It just happens, and we're grateful for that. So if you want to do that, there's a form for that in your program. Um, I actually went online and checked out. There's an actually easier way to do this. You can go straight to our website. You can click on give, and it will a screen will pop up. And one of the options as you work through the screen is this a one-time gift or regular. And if it's regular, it will literally do everything that this form does. So you can do that either way. If you want to fill that out and and put it in the baskets as they're passed later, that's great. If you just want to go home, pull up the website and do that, that's great too. Uh, and that will be a really good help in the long-term financial projections of what our church is doing. A third thing you can do is on the inside of your program, there's a QR code. It, it It's, you know what a QR code is. And if you don't, this won't apply to you anyway, all right? But uh, those of you that are used to the QR code and using it, that's a, we wanted to make the opportunity to contribute as convenient as possible so you can use the QR code. And then the last thing is this. Uh, God has enabled a number of us to be able to make very significant one-time contributions. This is the end of the year. It's the ideal time to make a tax-deductible contribution. Um, and we just want all of us to go home and pray. And if a half a dozen or or so of us that God has really blessed who can make sizable one-time contributions will do that. Uh, We can take a huge bite out of that gap um, by just doing what God has enabled us to do. So as we close this part of the presentation, um, we want to point to two things. Number one, You are part of a church that has a rich history of rising to challenges and meeting needs and vision with great generosity. And I could tell you story after story out of our history where God has touched people's hearts and they've responded in amazing ways. And because of that, you and I sit in this beautiful building today and we get to be part of a church that enjoys all that wonderful stuff. I just want to share one tiny story with you. Somebody from our church got wind that, of, of where we were, and they came forward all on their own and said, look, I'd like to make arrangements so that New Life can finish its construction project right now. And they actually made it possible for us in the middle of these challenging times to completely finish the construction going on in NextGen. What do you think about that? Um, so in the next four to six weeks and no pressure on those of you working in construction, get her done. (laughs) You're going to see big changes back there. If you haven't walked through our next gen areas, uh, one of our accent colors is gusto gold. Now there's a ton of blue and one of our accent colors is is gusto gold, and so we now have an affectionate name for that beigeish yellow color that's been in there. That's now officially disgusto gold. <laughs> <We're over it. laughs> yes. So you're going to want to walk through and see that. That's great stuff. Um, the second thing that I that I want to say to you is there's a wonderful principle of of community wrapped up in all of this. When those of us who can do little do our little, whatever that might be, and when those of us who can do much do our much, whatever that might be, somehow God makes it always enough. Everybody on board with that? Yeah, God makes it always enough, and that's how communities thrive. Um, this church belongs to God, always has, always will. And He's about ready to supply what we need through us. Those of us who work in leadership are very excited about two things. Number one, we're very excited about how God's going to grow our faith and individual participation. And we're excited to watch our people respond in ways that are Godlike. And we're excited to put this last piece in place. Literally, it's the last piece to put in place in our rebuilding foundation. And then we are ready to hit the ground running. And it would be so great if we took a huge chunk out of this before January 19. Okay? And just in case you're wondering, uh, we've already told Joel all of this. So he's not landing a What? Okay. He knows it all. He is praying for all of us this morning. Okay. So now to close this part of our presentation, I'll turn it back to Angela.
0: Just seems fitting to pray together at the end of that uh, conversation. If you're game for it, would you empty your hands because God never asks something from us that he hasn't already given to us. So while we're praying, would you just put your hands up? Because I would like to spend this moment in God's presence receiving. God, step one for us is to just tune in and acknowledge that you're in this room. Here, with us, now. Now. And as we look at the history of what you have done to plant this church, to sustain this church, to grow this church, to grow this church's influence, I feel like the song we sang this morning is just so fitting, Noel, come and see what God has done. I'm just one voice of many who could say, come and see, if you saw what God did in my life, you would want to know him. It's good news, Noel. So first, we acknowledge your presence. Secondly, we acknowledge that uh, we don't know what you're up to, like whether it's little or it's much. We hold our hands open like the pioneers who planted this church. Would you help us to dare to believe that you want to do something through us? Our dream is the same as our ancestors. Pick me. I want to do something meaningful. I want to do something great. I want to make an impact. Pick me. So we hold our hands open, expecting to receive. For some of us, first thing we need to do is just be able to receive your comfort or your presence. For some of us, we're ready for that grand assignment. For some of us, we need your courage to step into that thing we can already hear is a grand assignment you're whispering. It is no coincidence that this series is called God With Us, sitting in our presence, or us in your presence. (laughs) As we look to 2020, we want that clear vision, for instance, the 2020 vision. (laughs) We want that here. We want to be the church that changes the spiritual climate of Sonoma County. We want to be the ones that you do it through. Give to us whatever it is that we need, and you know what it is. Place it into our hearts, and then give us the courage to act. Merry Christmas, God. Happy birthday, Jesus. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, are you ready to listen in a hurry? I'm going to talk about the core of the Christian faith, and I'm going to talk about it in 15 minutes. That might be the biggest Christmas miracle of all, all right? So uh, get, get your notes out. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron. I'm part of our teaching team. And I am very excited to get to teach you this morning in this continuing series called God With Us. And what we're noticing in this series is that Christmas actually marks a big change. You know, when this country interacts with this country, oftentimes it's called diplomacy. And I like to think of Christmas as the day that marked the change in diplomacy, how the diplomacy between the powers of heaven and the people of earth takes place. Prior to this, God had always been for people. He had always loved people with all of his heart, so he didn't love them anymore. He just chose a different and much more personal way to express and walk out that love with them. And so Christmas is often called Emmanuel or God with us. Now, that title is lifted from an excerpt from a biography of Jesus life, a documentary of his life. And there's a conversation that takes place between an angel and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary's fiance, Joseph, who is really uh, all sorts of confused about how his fiance ended up pregnant. And so the angel comes to clear up a few of those things. And the angel says, now listen, Mary's a virgin. The virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son and the people. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're exploring in this teaching series, the word that's circled in red, with, because it brings up a really important question. And that is how with is with. When when God says, I'm going to be with you, what does that mean? And the first thing we noted was that God decided to move into... Hello. That God decided to move into our neighborhood. Now, he could have moved in as a God or a king and lived next door to us in a palace. And he could have been a benevolent king and a loving king and all that stuff. But, you know, if... If the king of the universe came to live in Petaluma, it might change the housing market. What do you think? Yeah. But God decided not not to just move into our neighborhood, but the reason he moved into our neighborhood is because we have learned that the story of with is really the story of love and that love never chooses to love from afar when it can draw near. And it's what motivates us To want to be with our families, especially during the holiday season, to be with those that we love. Because love is never to content to love from afar when it can draw near. But for God, it was more than just living near us. The second thing we learned is that God wanted to be with us in our humanity. Instead of being a king who lived next door to us in his palace while we live in our hovel. God said, no, I just want to be a people. I want to set aside my kingly palace. I want to set aside all the power and authority and all that stuff that I exercise in heaven. And I want to be born as an ordinary, normal, everyday human being. So I want to go through the birthing process. Yes, I'm going to have my diapers changed as a little kid. Yes, I'm going to learn how to talk. And yes, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how, how to read and, and and all that sort of stuff. I'm going to go through the junior junior high years and the senior high years and I'm going to become a young adult. I literally want to be a human being. I don't want to just be next to them. I want to be one of them. And we learned that love is never content to love from above when it can love side by side. Today, we're going to take a look at God being with us in our sin. This is the core of the Christian faith. And we're going to learn that love chooses to suffer when it knows personal sacrifice will take away the suffering of others. Friends, that's huge. I remember as a seven-year-old kid, a second grader from Dahlonega School, believe it or not, I'm ancient enough, I went to a one-room country schoolhouse, Kindergarten, first, and second grades, right? I'm in the second grade. I'm on a giant swing set we have there, and I'm about to set a record for bailing out of the swing. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm competing against eighth graders, and I have this wild and great idea, and that is you know how you can get a swing going better if you stand up in it and pump it, right? So I'm thinking, man, if I stand up in this thing and I pump and I jump. So I test it out when no one's around. And I fly way out past the eighth grade mark. I cannot wait for recess. Recess comes, I get pretty much the whole school around, all 25 of us, right? And I'm pumping that thing and pumping that thing. And when I get it as high as it can go, I jump out of that thing. And I'm doing a perfect swan dive. I'm coming straight down on my head. I was out past the eighth grade mark. (laughs) I was about ready to make a mark of my own. I put out my arm and I broke my left arm, both bones, just below the elbow. Snapped. I had an extra elbow. I was hurting. They took me to the hospital. I'm laying there in the hospital bed, waiting for the surgery room to open up so they can take me in, put me to sleep, and set my arm. My dad comes in and sits down beside me, and I will never, ever forget what he said to me. He said, son, I wish it was my arm, not yours. Now as a second grader, I didn't get that. I was like, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah. He was saying, you could take my arm and put it out of here and hit it with a sledgehammer and break both of the bones in my arm if it would mean my kid could get up off of that bed and walk. I didn't understand it until I had kids of my own. And all of you who have children of your own, you know exactly what that means. No matter what your kids are going through, if it's suffering, you would take that suffering on yourself in a heartbeat. Because that's what parents do. You see, here's the big question of eternity. How did that thing, which you and I call a cross, How did that, which was prior to Jesus' time, a device used only for the execution of the worst kind of criminals, how did that become the universal symbol of the Christian faith? To the point that we now wear it as jewelry. Think with me for a minute. Any other form of execution. If someone came in, And they were wearing a beautiful necklace. And there was a hangman's noose, a large hangman's noose, right at the bottom. Would that get your attention? And would that maybe raise a question for you? Like, what are you into? Yeah. And yet, Jesus so transformed the cross that it has become a universal symbol, not only of the Christian faith, but of love and hope. Now we're going to look at three spiritual realities. We're actually going to go to seminary for the next five minutes. Are you ready for five minutes of seminary? And we're actually going to take a look at the three great spiritual reality principles that are transcendent and above the entire world, including the Christian faith. Principle number one is this. Wow. I have no idea what's up with this thing. Okay, spiritual reality number one is sin. That is disregarding a transcendent life principle. I'll come back to that in a minute. has inescapable and deadly consequences. Okay? And oftentimes when it comes to the spiritual world, we get very resistive to any sort of, of reference to transcendent truth or principle, and yet we live every day surrounded by all sorts of transcendent truths and principles. Transcendent means it's bigger than you and me, and we don't get to choose it. For instance, you don't get to choose whether you live by gravity or not. And if you don't take it into consideration, you will not live long. Because it's a reality that's bigger than you. You didn't choose it, and you don't get to choose it. It's part of life. Here's another one. Nutrition. You may hate it. You may choose to live all your life eating hot dogs and Twinkies. That's your right. You could do it. But you don't get to choose how your body feels after that. Because there's a transcendent reality that's above you that governs your life, and you don't get to choose whether it's true or not. There was a group of people that lived in Northern California that chose to follow a spiritual leader by the name of Jim Jones. And they believed in something that wasn't true and they drank the Kool-Aid, but they did not get to choose the results. You understand? Because it's a transcendent reality. The world is set up to where there are certain spiritual and moral realities that are as transcendent as gravity or nutrition. We don't get to choose them. They're just true. And when we decide to go against them, the word for that is sin. And what you and I need to know is that sin has inescapable and deadly consequences all sin. Here's how one of the followers of Jesus put it. The wages, the consequences as a result of sin is death. And death means not only loss of life, but separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Now there's a powerful juxtaposition there. You can see that wages and death go together, and free gift and life go together, and really, when it comes to these transcendent spiritual realities, you and I have a choice. We can choose sin, and we will end up with a consequence we don't get to choose. It comes to us, and it's called death and separation from God, or we can choose to accept the free gift of God, which will result in this unending and limitless life. It does not take a rocket scientist to figure out which of those choices is better. Correct? Yeah, it's very clear. So that's spiritual reality number one. Spiritual reality number two is this. Sin cannot be ignored. It has to be atoned. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could just be ignored? That would be like eating hot dogs and Twinkies all of your life and feeling like you have just eaten smoothies that were made out of vegetables and fruit and all that good stuff all your life. We would all love that. Let me eat this and feel like this. No. My apologies to anyone in the audience who is a family member or is personally struggling with cancer. My heart goes out to you. But here's something we all know about cancer. If you ignore it, it doesn't go away. We all know that. And if you ignore it, The consequences are inescapable and deadly. If I could appropriate the analogy, sin is like cancer to the human soul. It can't be ignored, it actually has to be atoned. And one of the reasons it has to be atoned is because if we skip forward and we look to heaven, here's how the Bible describes some of the culture of heaven. Nothing and no one contaminated by sin or deceit will ever be allowed to enter. That's why you can't be ignored. Now, why did God set up heaven that way? He set it up that way so heaven wouldn't be earth recycled. Yeah, do you want to go to a heaven where... Sinful things are just allowed to be part of it. Well, no, it's just going to feel like earth again. What makes heaven heaven is that God chose not to ignore our sin. And he's creating a place for us where sin doesn't have a place at the table. Now, the big question is this, and this is the pivotal question of human history, and that is, would God meet us in our sin? Because as we look around, there's no shortage of sin. Would you agree with that? And if you think there's a shortage of sin in your life, just talk to your spouse, okay? They will happily point out one or two, maybe not so happily. Yeah, we all got it. But would God meet us in our sin? And the overwhelming answer is at the bottom. He chose to not only meet us in our sin, but to actually join us in a way that we would never imagine. And that leads us to spiritual reality number three. Because of his deep love for his children, God has chosen to accept vicarious atonement. Can you say that out loud with me? Let's say it. Ready? Vicarious atonement. You went to seminary. Isn't that awesome? It's part of a study called Soteriology in case you wondered, all right? So vicarious atonement, and here's what it means, allowing a sinless person to die in the place of people who have sinned. Do you realize that's the biggest choice that God made in human history? Because if he doesn't make that choice, what are the wages of sin? Death. Yeah, that's all we would have to look forward to but because god chose to accept the sacrifice of jesus in our place it means that he gets our death and we get his life how good is that doesn't get any better than that that's the core principle of christianity and so i want to close with a couple of passages of scripture And the first one is this written by a guy who was a notorious sinner who became a follower of Jesus. And as he realized the enormity of that decision that God made to accept the sacrifice of Jesus, the death of Jesus in his place, and to give him the life of Jesus. He wrote this, God made Jesus, who never sinned, to take our sin on himself. Stop right there. Remember the seven-year-old kid laying in a hospital bed and dad says, if I could take your broken arm, I would. This is God taking our sin on himself so that we could be made completely righteous before God. More than 600 years prior, to the writing of that. God instructed an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah to write these words. And here they are. The fact is, it was our pains that he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. It was our sins that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. And through his bruises, we get healed. God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong on him. He died without a thought of his own welfare. It's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he would give himself as an offering for sin so that he would see life Come from it. Life, life, and even more life. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Does that just not move you? That Jesus knew it all ahead of time. And he said, Amen. Because I can see (laughs) people gathered at 1310 Clegg Street. And I can see addictions broken. And I can see bitternesses released. And I can see marriages born. And I can see children born. And I can see sins forgiven. And I can see lives transformed. And I can watch people be tearfully baptized. I see it all. And it's coming. If I'll be willing to do this. So he'll see it. And he'll be glad. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. So when we sing the word Emmanuel, God with us, let's not miss the fact that he did more than come in our neighborhood. He did more than become one of us. He joined us in our sin, and he took it. That's why when the angels came to announce the birth of Jesus, they said, I bring you what? Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Why? Because the Savior, the one who's going to die in your place, has been born today. Father, thank you that you moved heaven and earth to come and meet us in our sin. And like a wonderful father, you said, why don't you give me all that junk and I'll pay for it. I'll suffer for it. I will experience your death so that you can have my life in this Christmas season, Jesus, we are so grateful. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.